Welcome back to Common Sense Fantasy Baseball. I'm Drew, and I'm really excited today because for the first time on my little podcast here, we have a guest, and it is Toby from Batflip Crazy. And uh, I know I've mentioned Toby and the Batflip Crazy podcast on several previous episodes because it really is my favorite baseball podcast. And it's so great to me because Toby doesn't just talk about players he likes or dislikes but he actually breaks down what they're doing and if it's likely to continue so toby thanks so much for being here yeah drew thank you so much for having me on the podcast those are uh those are very uh kind words um i really appreciate that and and i'm glad uh that you're finding uh some value and enjoyment out of the podcast that's always great to hear yeah it's great man i'm i'm, I'm really serious about that and, and that's why i wanted to have you on because uh i really want to do just that you know talk about sort of breaking down players and um, whether or not we think, you know, they're likely to continue their, uh, what, what they're doing, whether it's good or bad and um, kind of looking towards next season. I know most people are probably wrapping up this, this year and maybe we'll talk about some stuff at the end, like, you know, lineups and who's likely to be playing for the next two weeks. But, <laughs> but for now I wanted to your guess, this. your guess is as big, as good as mine. I know, man. <laughs> it's definitely changing every day, isn't it? Yeah, uh, we could talk about some news, but I, I'd rather just get into the sort of next year stuff. More interesting. I don't think anybody's really, you know, listening, to, maybe checking the news to see what players they can play. But other than that, you know, I think people are already starting to get excited about next year. I know I am. So, um, so to help us sort of do that, I wanted to look at these these mock drafts that Justin Mason has run. I know you've been involved with one of them. Um, yep. And Smata, who I don't – does he have – is that his first name, last name? Does he have it? <laughs> uh, his, uh, his, his real name is Matt. Oh, okay, okay. But, so, um, but he goes by Smata. I think it's yeah. like Smata underscore BB or something on Twitter. And he's put together a spreadsheet with ADP based on these mocks. So it's really great. And so all, all I know is, you know, these are five-by-five five roto, 15-team leagues, you know, standard five-by-five five categories. Do you want to, like – give an introduction to like what is involved with drafting or is it just a, it's almost like a, a normal draft would be in the spring, except you're not going to actually play it out. Right. Yeah, exactly. So with the mock drafts, um, we're really just trying to get a sense of ADP um, average draft position. So Justin Mason, who's just a great resource for the, um, uh, for the fantasy baseball community. He's um you know, he created DGFBI, the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational, which is a league of kind of fantasy baseball experts. Yeah, I've um, mentioned it um, before on the podcast for sure, and I, I hope to join it sometime. I think it's a really cool thing. And, you know, it's kind of like playing in a high-stakes money league. It's, it's just the competition. You can't get it elsewhere. Yeah, definitely. The competition is, um, is great. There's a lot of, uh, of strong fantasy baseball players in the league. And so Justin's been doing these for a few years now. And really the, the general idea is just to get a sense of what ADP is. Like we can kind of have like our guesses and things are going to change dramatically, but I think getting together a group of fantasy baseball quote unquote experts and um, having them, like I think there's six drafts, something like that, having them draft a league, that actually gives you a sense of where players might fit in. There's always recency bias. Um, kind of involved in that based on guys who are going high, like Aristides Aquino is going like in the top 100, for instance. Right. Um, you know, things like that. But uh, it gives a really good sense of, of um, you know, where players might go heading into next year. 
I've got a couple of uh, players that I think are really going to start shooting up and maybe we'll talk about them, but you're right. I think it's a, it's a good baseline, but I mean, it's going to change so much even when people start drafting in, you know, whatever it is, November for the, for the draft and hold leagues. Um, I think it'll already change substantially, but it's, it's, it's so cool. Yeah. It's so, it's just so cool to have it as a resource. So anyway, I, um, I guess I'll just kind of, we can start by going negative and <laughs> I want to talk about some, <laughs> some players that I'm a, was kind of scratching my head on where they, they're going. And, and I think they might be going a little early and uh, maybe we predict whether or not we think they'll still be going at, you know, at these draft spots when the, when the, real drafts come around in a few months and even in the spring. But uh, the first player that jumped out to me, and, and first of all, I just want to say that, you know, like people have these long in-depth discussions about, you know, Trout or Yelich or Acuna. And it's just like, okay, well, you're going to get a pretty good player in the first, you know, first three picks of the first round. So I don't, you know, I kind of, I almost skipped the first two rounds, to be honest with you. I just said, <laughs> there's not a lot of bad players going in the first two rounds. So, we can quibble over the order, but, um, you know, I don't think anybody's thinking that, you know, uh, who are the ones that have come up like Tatis or, you know, Soto, nobody's thinking they're going to be available in the third round, you know, so we pretty much have a good idea of who the first couple rounders are. Would you agree? Um, yeah. I mean, I think the, I think the conversation is, um, is, is important only for the reason that, um, you know, or not important, but it's interesting because, you know, you really set the foundation for how you're going to build your team out, I think, in oh. the first couple rounds. So, like, you know, if you decide to go with Nolan Arenado, your subsequent rounds look a lot differently unless you're trying to punt stolen bases versus if you go with, you know, uh, Trey Turner, you know. And yeah. then, so I think, um, I think it's interesting just from a team construction standpoint, but I agree with you in the sense that, like, hitting is very deep. Um, pitching is actually, I, I think pitching is, is kind of deep too, at, at least in the first couple tiers, I guess that's not deep, but like, I think the the top two tiers are, are, are fairly deep. I'd say deeper than I think they were last year. Um, but I think, um, you know, yeah, hitting is deep. And so I agree with you that there's probably a group of like 40 players that are going to go in the first 30 picks pretty consistently. Okay. Um, which happens every year, you know? Well, that's fair. And I think that's right. And I think you, it's hard to mess up if you take one of the right 30 players, if you, if you, you know, if you take Domingo Santana or, you know, Jesse Winker, <laughs> then you've, you've messed up. But if you take somebody that typically goes in the first two rounds in the first two rounds, I think it just, like you said, comes down to team construction. Like if you yeah. t- nothing wrong with taking Arenado, but if you take him, you're going to have to get some guys later, you know, Victor Robles, Senzel, you know, you're going to have to get some, some speed guys in the middle rounds and that may just change the way you have to do things. But I mean, there, I, I think there's many ways to skin a cat. Definitely. Yeah. And, and I, and I think with that, like a lot of folks will talk about valuation. So like how much, you know, like return on investment or just or how much value they generate through their stats. And I think that that's important, but I think the roster construction one is a real, Real big one in that point, like you mentioned, like if you don't get speed early, like there's a, a lot of dilemmas you're going to run into and it's going to restrict who you're able to go after later on in the draft if you're going to build a balanced team in the draft. Well, I agree. And, I, I you know, since we're talking about it, I, <laughs> I, I don't think I'll ever have Nolan Arenado just because I want to take – because he's got a great floor, but the upside is, is nowhere near – 
Christian Yelich or, I mean, that's a bad example because Yelich is going to go in the first couple picks, but, but even, you know, I'm, I'm struggling for an example, but any guy with, with some speed is going to just have, you know, inherently more upside. So I'm a lot more interested in, who's a good example, Trevor Story than Nolan Arenado at that, you know, at that mid to late first round spot. Um, I don't know if you agree with that, but I know that um, like in my main event this year, I got Yelich and I actually sort of reached to take him third overall. And obviously he's carried my year, but it's like, I can't imagine what my stats would look like without him because you take away 30 stolen bases and 40 homers and, you know, I'm struggling in those categories. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and when I look at a lot of my teams, um, you know, the stolen bases is the hardest one to chase, I think, mm-hmm. because I mean, a batting average is really hard to chase too, but stolen bases are hard to chase because they just kill everything else, you know, because you're trying to put John birdie in your lineup and like, that's <laughs> great um, because birdie gets stolen bases, but you know, you're also using a guy in the Marlins lineup. Who's not going to get you a ton of runs, yeah. you know, a ton of RBI, a ton of home run. I mean, he's actually been decent, but you it's know, the, there's a lot of those, those rabbits. That it's you're the rabbit. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. It's the, it's the Malik Smith conundrum. It's like a guy that gets you 40 stolen bases is great, but you're going to be, you're, you're going to be dying in RBI and home runs. I mean, that's what the rabbits do every year. And um, so I just kind of try to go for more balance. I will, I want to call you out too, for one thing, you were nice enough to review my, you know, just quick, one of my first episodes, a quick five minute episode on, uh, uh, you know, bullying hitting and that your suggestion was, you know, you come up with some good ideas, but I would suggest more balance, you know, with pitching and hitting. And I think yeah. balance is just kind of, a, I think you're right. You know, I think balance is just kind of important everywhere. Um, you know, even within hitting, you know, you, 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 you have to, it works a lot better for me at least to go for more balanced players. You know, obviously if you get a bunch of 2020 players, that's great. But I mean, just some semblance of balance, you know, even like an Anthony Rizzo that throws in a few stolen bases with his power. Um, mm. That just seems like a much easier way to build a team. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and um, you know, I didn't realize that you had a main event team. Oh yeah. So yeah. I just looked at your main event team. You have the sixth best offense. Oh, in wow. the whole main event. Well, I did bully hitting, didn't I? <laughs> you, know? you did bully hitting. Your pitching, your pitching it could use a little work. Oh, um, but we're we're kind of the opposite because yeah, I I have the uh, what is it the four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelfth best pitching <laughs> in the main event. Um, but my hitting is mediocre. Well, I, I noticed one of your. I think you have two teams, right? I think one of them is in the top twenty. So good luck. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm 17th right now. It's a tight, it's a tight rate. Yeah. Been going back and forth with another player and um, you know, I'm just really hoping that my pitching can kind of gut it out for a couple more weeks. (laughs) I've just been bleeding pitching the second half. Like I had Snell and I lost him and he wasn't doing that great, you know, obviously to begin with, but the K's were really nice and (laughs) he started to turn it around right before, um, he got injured. So yeah. yeah. Injuries. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's the counting stats for pitching that you don't think about. Like it's, it's impossible to keep up on strikeouts if you lose your, your ACE and, you know, you know, in a couple of leagues I've had, I just got really lucky with my, with my bully hitting strategy. So I only have one in the main event, obviously, but mm-hmm. I have like, I think I did eight or nine draft champions, just the drafted home. Oh yeah. yeah. And I've got 
three of them are pretty solidly in first place in their leagues and two of them are in second or third. So like I've, the the strategy has worked well. It's just a matter of, and I think you actually said this when you were kind enough to review the episode, you said, well, you really have to hit on those mid range pitchers. And so in one league I have Luis Castillo and Ryu and, you know, and if you get those, if you get the Brandon Woodruffs and not the Corbin Burns, then you you're doing a lot better. But, but you're right. But, yeah. but how do we how do we know we're going to get him right? Because I think that's the thing is, as fantasy players, we're like, oh, you know, I did this last year. I got this guy right. Like for me this year, it's Lucas Giolito. Right. Like I hit Lucas Giolito, and yeah, he's you know salvation. <laughs> I, yeah, I had I had Garrett Cole and I had Blake Snell as my two aces. And one of the reasons why I love that strategy, and this sounds like super depressing, but it allows for failure, right? Because I have these two aces and one out of the two of them ended up being good. And that along with a guy coming out of the blue and doing well is enough to give me like the core of the, of one of the better pitching staffs in the whole uh, event. Right. Right. And so you know, I, I was lucky in TGFBI because I hit on Justin Verlander, so I have another ace, and then I also have Giolito there because I was on him super early. Um, and so that's also been able to carry that team. I think I have, like, the second-best pitching staff in all of TGFBI. And so that's one of the reasons why I, you know, I got lucky in TGFBI, I like to say, because Verlander hit. But I really like the two-way strategy because, like, if both of them hit, like, you're gold – um, and it gives you a lot of leeway to mess up in other places, just in terms of ratios and stuff like that. Yeah. And 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 to stream. Um, and then I think in, in um, but if one of them messes up, it still gives you a chance to be good. Like right. I had sale, sale and Bauer in my other main event, and Oof. you might be like, "Oh man, that sucks." Like your pitching staff is probably terrible. Um, and I probably should check this beforehand, but my pitching staff's actually been okay. Well, I wouldn't say because, that because I would say, you know, you, maybe you hit in the later rounds and you definitely hit on Giolito. Did you get him in both? I got him in, in all of my big leagues. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Well, okay, so, so I guess my first thought is, well, you know, that's great, but I got Yelich, Freddie Freeman, and Xander Bogarts in the first three rounds, and obviously, like, that's why I'm whatever you said, I'm, you know, 12th or whatever, sixth in the, in the, in all the main event league uh, teams, because um, I can't, I can't imagine without that foundation, you know, that hitting would be as easy as it's been for me this year. Yeah. So, so have you had trouble getting enough hitting with your two ace strategy? Well, you know, so I think it depends. So like in the, in the, in one of them, so just like focusing it on the main events, for instance, like, in my main events, my so it was um, I went uh, so in the really in the really good one I ended up uh, going I went Cole Snell, and then I went um, uh, oh man who did I go there Eddie Rosario I'm trying maybe. to think <laughs> no I went I went Andrew Benintendi oof he yeah is just... so I even messed that up oof, right yeah that's but tough. Then, after Benintendi, I got Rendon. That's nice. He's been and amazing. Then I, and then I got Eddie Rosario. And then I got Nelson Cruz later. So you're not hurting I got, your batting average for sure. And, and then I got – my batting average has been good. Uh, and then I got Mankata later. I got Hunter Dozier. 
but the thing is, I messed up on other things. I got Justin Upton right right before mm-hmm. he got the injury announcement. Yeah. Um. You know, and so and so I think it just goes to show, like, you can make plenty of mistakes and still end up with a really good team. You just need to be actively working to improve that team. And I think that's why I'm probably going to go two aces again, unless I get the first, you know, three or maybe first four picks mm-hmm. or so, because I actually do like some of the aces that are available, available kind of on the two, three turn. Um, but I think I'm probably going to go with that again, because I think the thing is those two, those two aces can set your pitching staff. Yeah. They can set your whole pitching staff, right? Like you can, you can be good just by having those two solid aces to anchor your, your ERA and whip just by being an active manager, you can get a decent amount of, you know, the winds have fluctuate a little bit, but you can get a decent amount of K with K's with those two aces. Right. And yeah. the wind should be decent. And then for saves, like I think my strategy for next year, I haven't said this out loud yet. So like uh, <laughs> you can tell me whether it sounds Breaking smart or not, news. but <laughs> is um, I think I'm going to go, I'll, I'll get two out of my first three picks are probably going to be aces. And then I think I'm going to punt pitching all the way until deep in the draft. Like are we and talking so I'm get, round um, 15 or 20 or? No. So like the, in the TGFBI mock, just to bring us back to kind of like where we started, let me, let me just look. Really well, while you're quickly. looking, I'll say, I'll say yeah. that, you know, my whole bully hitting strategy, um, I started drafting, I, th- I took my first pitcher in the 10th round. I know that sounds crazy, but yeah. it is actually, you know, like I said, if, if you, if you hit on the right guys, it works. I think with the, with the two, you know, with the two aces strategy, you could a hundred percent wait till after the 10th round to start taking more pitchers. I would, I would imagine. I mean, yeah. So you're not going to so need to hit on a, the, the guys I'm thinking of in like seven, eight, nine are like G or, um, uh, Luis Castillo on the good side, but also like Pavetta on the bad side or Bieber, yeah. Bieber on the good side. But, you know, you can really just get crushed on the bad side there. Absolutely. Wasting a seventh round pick, you know. Totally. So in my current draft with TGFBI, I went Verlander at one at pick 10 in the first round. And then I went Giolito at pick 40 in the third round. And then my next pitcher was in the 12th round. It was Emilio Pagan. I went Emilio Pagan, and then I got Sean Doolittle in the 13th. I got uh, oh, so you're even Al- So you're even talking about waiting on closers, too, not just yeah. starting pitchers. Oh, absolutely. I've always been a wait on closers guy. Gotcha. I never draft closers before pick 100, pretty much. Not as, like, a set-in-stone rule like I have before. Yeah. But I just think that, like, you know, there's this uh, – I think it's Jeff Erickson on Rotowire brings up this point about how he was looking at all the best teams – in the main event last year. And he thought that they were all going to have a bunch of Edwin Diaz in them. Right. But what it ended up being is a bunch of Bud Norris. (laughs) And I, and I think that makes a lot of sense because instead of using your, you know, your, whatever, your seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th pick on a closer that can't really, unless they really hit, they're going to get that value. And we know like the variance in closer performance that it's just there's it's it's a it's a value loss proposition right so i'd rather go super deep on hitting in those rounds and then speculate like i'm doing great on closers all this year and again this is one year sample size but across all my leagues because i picked up you know hansel robles i got will smith late because he was discounted because everybody was like well yeah he's the closer but he's gonna get traded 
Um, you know, um, I picked up Liam Hendricks in one league. I had Colome who was available late, right? Like there's just, there's closers every year that kind of come out of who are solid closers, but they're just not spectacular, but then they have a good year because the sample size is low. Um, and so I think for that reason, I'm going to wait on all of them pretty much and just get super deep hitting kind of in those, you know, four through 10 rounds, like just all hitting. So while everybody else is picking up these closers or these, right. Or these to help starting the pitchers who might become the next Nick Pavetta. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you're getting, you're getting Justin Turner there or, uh, Robin, Robin Cano is a bad example. I, I got him and like, exactly. Five. Right. So, but you're getting so somebody no- that should be steady like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We're, we're, and, 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 you know, with hitters, like there's a, you have a better sense of what they're going to do outside of injury. Well, I think so, like, the number one, is, oh, sorry, the, go ahead. the number one team in the main event this year, his closers are Emilio Pagan, Archie Bradley and Brandon Workman. <laughs> right. Wow. And he had Shane green. Those are the, those are the winning the teams uh, closers. Yeah. That's the team that's like dominating the men at main event this year. See, that's, that makes so much sense with everything that I've done this year too. Um, I, my first closer drafted was in like the 10th or 11th. It was Hunter Strickland. So bad idea mm. there. Um, I thought, you know, he's got the job, but then he got hurt. Um, and then I, I didn't get any another closer because I just kind of kept missing. Um, I, I think my next guy was, well, I it, it ended up, I had uh, Taylor Rogers and like maybe the second to last round and, yeah. and um, the other guy, uh, Blake Parker, who was closing for a while for the twins. So between the yeah. two of them, I did pretty well. And then other guys who I've dropped, but then I, I now have in addition to Taylor Rogers, uh, Daniel Hudson, Jairo Diaz and Jose LeClerc. Yeah. Somebody had actually dropped yeah. Leclerc in my main event league, and so I could, yeah. So you're well. Everything LeClerc, you're saying is 100 right about it's so. And I've and I've been trying to do that the same thing all year with starting pitchers, but you you yeah. can't do it. You know, I picked up you, you my best pickup. I think was Griffin Cannon, and that didn't. You know, that was hit or miss for a while. And then then he has of course been gone for a while. But like I I tried. I paid a lot for Corbin Martin. You know, the Astros. Corbin. Yeah, I, I've tried. You know, a lot of a lot of pitchers to fill in. I have not found my Lucas Giolito. And I think it's yeah. so much harder to do that, uh, especially after the first couple weeks of the year at starting pitching, that you can absolutely, you know, figure out closer on the waiver wire. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's a little bit nerve inducing because you got to spend fab on closers and things like that. But I don't actually think that that's necessarily the case. And this isn't just this year, but I feel like on a fairly consistent basis, if you do enough scouting of, closer situations and you speculate enough i think you're you're likely to hit on someone right yeah i think if people don't believe us on that i think they they should probably just look through each of the 30 major league teams and see how many how many of the closers have changed um over the course of the year and how many random guys got saves for two weeks that you could pick up and steal three or four saves and you know just the fact that like i mean this is anecdotal but i have three closers now who you know, well, at least two. Uh, I don't know if you count Taylor Rogers as, as someone who we didn't <laughs> think would be closing, but we, we sure didn't when it was draft time, you know. We got yeah. three guys that, you know, have been – Tyro Diaz has been great the last couple of weeks. He's gotten me like yeah. five or six saves in, in oh, a short absolutely. time. So you can 100% do it. So anyway, well, that's, yeah. I, that's a pretty cool little segment we just had on draft strategy. I wasn't even really planning to do that. But I, I think our strategies yeah. are – you know, there's, there's definitely some – 
some overlap there. And I may have to think more about your two ace thing, because I, I definitely think that there is a, a wasteland. Uh, some people call it the glob, I think, of like pitchers between rounds five or six and round 10, where you're spending yeah. – that's serious draft capital, right? We can agree. Yeah. Like you're, you can get a really good hitter in all of those rounds, but those pitchers are, are either that, you know, they'll turn out to be Shane Bieber or Ryu, or you'll just get a big fat nothing. And yeah, you know, it's not because he got hurt. It's because he, he wasn't any good, you know? And so I think that's a, that's a definite thing that people can maybe uh, take into next year and improve on. So, yeah. And I think, and I think our confirmation bias makes us think that we're really good at doing that. Right. Like we <laughs> like to think that we're smart. No, like, honestly, like I remember heading into this draft, I was like, Oh my God, like in, there's so much value in, in pick 175 to 220. You got Max <laughs> Kepler, you got Ryan Braun, you got, um, you got uh, Jake Bauer, <laughs> you got, you know, like Jesse Winker. Got, yeah. Yeah. Like you've got all the, yeah. Jesse Winker. You've got all these Fred, guys. And even like, Fernando oh Reyes and Hunter Renfro. I mean, everybody in there, you can name one of them succeeded to some extent and one of them, you know, killed you. Yeah, absolutely. And so the thing is, it's like, instead of, instead of getting hitters at that point in time, and I'm not saying don't get any hitters at that point in time. I and mean, it's a great time to go after the guy that you want. But I'm just saying, like, instead of doing that, why don't we just speculate? Like, okay, the Twins, you know, look like they're going to have, you know, two potential closers. Okay, well, in pick, you know, 220 and uh, pick 220 and 221, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to piggyback the two Twins closers and see which one works out, right? Trevor or, May. Or, you know, or, yeah. <laughs> take a stab at the guy who has the best skills or who you feel most confident in for one reason or another, right? Right. right. And so, and so, and if they, if they, if they suck, then that gives you a roster spot to churn over yeah. for that starting pitcher that looks like they could be something strong, yeah. you know? And so I think that's one thing too is like really those kind of high risk uh, picks towards the end of the draft are great because if they don't pan out right away, like you just ditch them. And it, it, it makes it so that you feel a little bit more flexible in your roster than like, oh, well, I just, I just want to hold on to this guy like a little bit longer. It's like, no, they didn't get the closer spot, but that's okay because now I'm going to go after like a guy who ended up getting a fifth rotation spot that nobody thought would, you know? I think, so, I think one thing that underlies a lot of what we're both saying is, you know, early, I've heard somebody else say this. I, I wish I could give credit, but I don't know who. Early in the draft, you want to go safe. And then later in the draft, you want to go all upside because – you know, if you if you miss a guy in round 25 and, you know, you just you end up dropping him, that's not going to hurt. But if you hit a guy like I got uh, Brandon Lau, <laughs> he was just a yeah. complete dart in like round 26. And I didn't even know if he was going to get playing time, but he ended up the first half of the season. He was a huge boon. for me. Oh, yeah, he was mashing. So you just yeah, go with somebody sure. like that who you may end up dropping or they may carry your team for a while. Totally. So anyway, or like, or, or like do it, do a speculation, right? Like, you know, like, uh, or, or pick up a prospect. That's what I, I think I haven't been um, as good at is realizing like how much value those guys, like they're automatically discounted because there's uncertainty about role, right? Like Ronald Acuna, whoever, maybe not Vlad. And, and it may not happen this year just because they've been so good to begin with. But like, you know, heading into next year, like, why not speculating on, like, a Luis Robert? Or That's a very good example, a, yeah. A Joe Adele or something like that, like, with pick, you know, 180 or whatever it's going to cost. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, well, um, I got, but I like got Tucker this year at pick – I mean, I think it was over um, pick 300. 
So yeah. it was just a total. And we're starting to see him, right? We're starting to see why, what the fuss was about. With well, him. so, of course, I dropped him three weeks ago. Or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah, the point stands, and, and I'm not going to back off of it just because Kyle Tucker didn't work out this year. Think of all the players who have, and you're right. Like, they've been – I mean, that if you get a Kyle Tucker type or Luis Robert type in round 15 or, or later, you – I mean, there's nothing um, you could have done earlier that's going to – be that much of a boon for your team so absolutely so it's yeah. so i think you know this is this is cool to see how much we actually do have in common and i, I figured we would because i've looked at a couple of your drafts and i know that you know you, you tend to do smart things <laughs> in my opinion and, <laughs> and i just haven't really been on board with the ace pitchers but I, i'm kind of coming around because when you really go through the grind of uh especially a main event you know 15 team where there's nothing out there you know starting pitcher wise you try to pick up two start guys and that's really tough to do you know you can get two start uh, Aaron Brooks or something if you really want that in your life <laughs> you know right. but there's there's nothing available out there in a 15 team league that's competitive and so you know this was my first year to do the main event and I I thought well I stream pitchers all the time in my home league you know it's just not the same thing so yeah I don't want to be streaming pitchers next year so I may actually look into one or maybe even two uh, true aces in the first few rounds. Um, but, you know, the jury's still out. So so that's that's really cool uh, draft strategy talk. I think that's great since this is the Common Sense Fantasy Podcast. But uh, <laughs> let's talk about some specific players. And, and I'm going to start fairly early, but, like, maybe around the third round. So I think at the, the last pick of the second round, um, and I, I got these, um, these pick numbers from Samada's spreadsheet, uh, cool. maybe a few days ago. So if somebody <laughs> sees that the pick number has changed, you know, I got it a few days ago, but anyway, the, <laughs> the, uh, the first guy I saw that I really scratched my head at was Jordan Alvarez, or maybe it's Jordan or Jordan, but, uh, you know, he went at pick 30 overall. And I was just thinking in this day and age where we have, <laughs> you know, however many people hitting 40 home runs, is he really worth that kind of draft capital? And I think it hinges on whether or not he's actually going to hit 290, you know, because he certainly came up, came in looking like that, and he was certainly doing that in the minors. But, you know, we've seen Vlad, Vladimir Guerrero not hit 290, and we've seen, um, you know, Sinzel has a pretty good hit tool. He's not hitting 290. He wasn't <laughs> hitting 290. So what do you – I'm just going to throw it to you, and you can tell me your opinion about Alvarez, what is he really? It's worth this draft spot. Yeah, um, I do. I do think he's worth the draft spot. Um, you know, again, like, and this is independent of uh, independent of kind of um, how you build your team, because I do think that that's something that's really important. For right? sure, sure. Like, we already covered is, that. You're, you're going to need yeah. stolen bases later if you get a, a, absolutely. Uh, a um, but I really like Alvarez a lot. I mean, when you look at the profile, it's a very solid profile. Um, his, um, you know, he's league average in terms of plate discipline and contact, and I think that contact piece is really key. Key there. Because, you know, you don't have the same strikeout issues, I think, that you see um, with, you know, a lot of guys that bring his type of power. Um, in AAA this year, he had a 20% strikeout rate. So that's fairly consistent with, you know, what he, he did in the minors, at least recently. And I know this was kind of his breakout year in the minor. He's, he's always been good, but not quite this good. 
the um the hard hit rate is elite all of the batted ball metrics are really really good um when you look at you know and and i know one of the questions you had was like just around babip and like whether he can continue this you know if you look at his expected metrics and i don't put everything in the expected metrics because i do think that you know there are some limitations to the to the savant ones like i really believed heavily in the xstats.org ones when those were put together but um you know, his expected batting average is 294. So you're talking about a four category stud, right? You're talking about a guy who's going to provide batting average. Um, that's going to be well above league average if he continues what he's doing. And the contact rate for meets indicates that it does. And yes, a 362 BABIP is high, but when you have a 52.3% um, uh, hard hit rate, um, when you're, um, barrel rate is 11 percent you're when your max exit velo is close to 118 like those are every indicator that the dude mashes and so i wouldn't actually be surprised if he moved up a little bit so he's a four category contributor and then within the astros lineup you're talking about a guy who quite easily not not quite easily but who pretty easily could give you 100 runs well over 100 RBIs and then 40-plus home runs. When you look at his projection for the bat for rest of season, I did this while I was drafting, you know, his rest of season projection for the bat. And again, that, this is a 50 percentile median projection was like 290, 35 <laughs> home runs, and 90-plus runs in RBI for a projection system, right? That, that, that uh, expected batting average is pretty telling. I, I, I hadn't really noticed that. Um, I guess, you know, you see, you've seen him regress a little bit, but he was hitting 350. So I, yeah. I think you've convinced me on batting average. I've also just pulled up his uh, splits, and he's the lowest he's hit any month since he's been up is 309. So, yeah, yeah no, I think the batting average, okay, I'm starting to come around. So I guess the question to me, is you know somewhere between like Nolan Arenado and, and Alvarez and then a guy like Nelson Cruz there's a yeah. there's a lot of range in there in the in the picks like I don't know where Cruz is going but I'm guessing it's a lot later than Jordan Alvarez yeah yeah and I think part of that is just the in, is a couple pieces I mean the util discount for Cruz is is a real thing right is, is like Alvarez going to have first base eligibility or Ooh, that is a, that is a good question I was not thinking about that let's see let's see what he's going to have um he's been uh, he's been DH almost every day I think he played in the left in left field for like oof let's see it looks like uh, four no, he's games, got, five games. He's got he's got nine games started in left field. So oh, he, wow. And he's got ten games at outfield. So he should have outfield. That's, eligibility, that's huge. I think. I think. I, I don't know whether it's uh, – it depends on the site. I can't remember whether, whether MNFBC is 20 or 10, but um, – I think but, it might be 20. I think it might. Yeah. That's, so that's a big it, thing to find out. It'll definitely <laughs> be a big thing. So even taking that out um, – you know, the thing about uh, Nelly is he's old. And so I think there's a discount there involved as well because everybody's just kind of waiting for him to break. And it's not like, you know, and he's been consistently at 600 plate appearances or more every year. He's not going to get there this year. You know, he's going to be in the 500. So you're going from 667 plate appearances to 645 to 591. You'll probably be around like 525 or so, I think, 525, 550 by the time the season ends for Nelly. So there's a downward trend there. Um, and then I think the home runs 
39, 37, 37 is great. The runs haven't been there the last couple of years, 70, 70. Uh, the RBIs haven't broken 100, you know, for one year. So, you know, I'm kind of grasping at straws a little bit, but I definitely think there is more downside for Nelly's profile. The K rate this year is at 27%. Sure. We've seen about a 3% dip in contact rate overall for Nelly. So, I mean, there are some signs that... So you would say that, that Alvarez is likely to have a maybe even significantly higher batting average than Cruz? Um, I wouldn't say significantly higher. I'd say, I'd say they're close enough. They're within range on it. Yeah. Um, I think if Alvarez is healthy for the full year, I just think that the counting stats are going to be better, and I think the home runs will probably be better, to be honest with you. That's a huge thing. I think a lot of people discount those, those counting stats when they're sort of you know, expecting a player to have a certain batting average, hit a certain number of home runs. They not think about those counting stats, and that – that plays a huge part. So, yeah, okay. I guess you're right about when you look at the projected plate appearances and, and things, he's certainly worth a lot more. I still might be, might be reluctant to spend, you know, pick 30 on a guy that's a, he's a four category stud for sure. But I just read on the NFBC rules, players who played at least 20 games at any position in 2018 mm. will qualify. So, you know, I, I think I would still hold off on pick 30 and try to get somebody like, well, Let's see who else is going around pick 30. And then yeah. what I was going to say, so Starling Marte pick 29 or maybe even um, – it does thin out there around pick 30. But anyway, um, the, the, what I was about to say is I would be more likely to take a, a shot on Nelson Cruz if I could get him in the sixth round or something. Yeah. Um, I know sixth round is, is, is valuable draft capital, but he could be such a, a stud if he gets more plate appearances than we think. There's there's a lot of upside there, so yeah, exactly. And I think the value proposition is very different, right? Yeah. So with your your Don at that point in time, you're not necessarily banking on a ton of getting a ton of value, uh, but you what you are banking on, you know, is having a stud foundational piece in some of those categories. I think with Nelly, there's a lot more value yeah. to be had in that profile, right? We're comparing them to each other, but from a from a value perspective, I, I agree that Cruz is a better value proposition. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we're on board there. I, that, I definitely um, can sort of see it more now that we've, we've hashed out the batting average. You hashed out the batting average thing for me. That makes more sense. Um, the guy that's going on with the very next pick um, is also a question mark to me. And that is Vlad Guerrero jr. Um, and the reason is somewhat different. I, I do think Vlad is a, you know, 290, maybe 300, maybe even better hitter eventually. And maybe even next year, but he has hit I, when I when I was putting my list together. He 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 had hit 15 home runs, and we're not talking about you know I know he didn't come up right away, but we're not talking about 15 home runs and 200 plate appearances. He's had 473 plate appearances, and so my question mark with Vlad is: we know he's got power, of course, but does he have game power? Is he going to get to the power enough to justify pick 31 overall? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think I would have taken, I don't think I'd take him this early. Probably, um, the batting average could certainly be very high, um, but we haven't seen it quite yet. Um, and so I think what, what, um, I mean, I love Vlad. I think he's going to be a great player. I think for me at pick 30, the lack of any stolen bases is a big factor um, in, in that valuation, in that proposition. I think he's going to be better, right? We've already seen it in the second half so far. He has been better. Um, you know, the batting average could be great. It could be elite uh, for sure. 
he hasn't made as much contact, um, you know, as he did in the minors. So, like, his K rate is low, uh, but the overall contact rate is slightly better than league average, but not a, a ton better. And the batted ball quality leaves a little bit to be desired, especially the high ground ball rate. You know, he's got a 48% ground ball rate, and it may be a situation where a lot of those were hits in the minors, but now with the shift, with better defense, uh, those are going for um, fewer hits. His line drive rate is also low, and I think that that'll probably go up a little bit. There's a lot. There's always a ton of variance in line drive rate. So I think he's going to be solid. Like he'll have a good batting average. I think he'll probably hit like 25 home runs, um, you know, and, and have really nice runs and RBIs as that lineup begins to develop uh, together. But, you know, at this point of time in the draft, that's not necessarily the profile that I'm um, that I'm after. So I would agree with you that that I would not pick him where he is going uh, right now. And I may look bad, you know, next year as we look at it. But um, the, the still lack of stolen bases at this point in time is just a big red flag and like elite power. Right. You, like, you know, what's he's interesting track category. Contributor. What's so interesting to me is that he, you know, his contact uh, profiles about as Jordan Alvarez, who we just talked about, but um, it's, it's just as far as his contact rate, but the quality of contact is completely different, you know? So maybe we're seeing like a floor or, or close to a floor with Vlad, but he's got that upside. I mean, we, I think he hit the second hardest hit ball all year, you know? Um, so he's got that light tower power that, that an Alvarez or somebody like that has. We just haven't seen it. And so, you know, you're right. We could look really stupid saying Vlad's overrated at pick 31. But, you know, at some point you have to put up or shut up, right? I mean, 15 home yeah. runs and I think he's hitting just under 270. That's, that's not going to get it done. And I, I don't know. I think it's just kind of he's been playing – more or less of his floor with some really bad streaks and some decent or to good streaks. But the power is, is a question mark for me. So that's interesting. It's an interesting juxtaposing those two guys is, is very interesting to me because they both really do have that power available, or at least they've shown that power to some extent, but you know, maybe it's a launch angle thing. Uh, I, I don't know, but it's, it's certainly interesting. Definitely. So let's switch to – well, actually, let me do one more hitter real quick, and that's um, number 36 overall, Manny Machado. And I don't know about you, but, like, this to me just reeks of name value. <laughs> you know, like, I don't yeah. – if you're looking at Machado's season, really his last several seasons, he's had, he's had very good seasons. He's, he used to steal more bases, um, but even that's been hit or miss. But Machado is a very low floor player, too. And it picks 36 overall when you could get Xander Bogarts or you could get any number of players with a much better floor uh, and just as much upside. Why would you take Machado here? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I agree. I think that uh, I don't think there's, you know, the challenge with Machado is we have that 14 stolen base season and that 20 stolen base season in his profile. But like if he, unless he reaches that, that level it's hard for him to return value and I think my biggest concern with him is he's actually always struggled kind of outside of Candom. not struggled struggled is a very harsh word um but you know he you know Camden Yards definitely helped him out I don't have like his splits at Camden versus outside but you know he hasn't hit well at home um he's hitting 224 um in Petco uh this year um, without 
uh, much. Um, well, the power's been about the same. Um, I just, I just feel like the batting average may have been a little bit Camden induced. I think you're um, onto something because his av- his average home run it goes um, 401 feet, and that's good mm-hmm. for you know that puts him at 221st. Mm-hmm. You know, as as far as hitters that you know um, on on the list of hitters who have hit home runs, his average is 221st best. So yeah. he does not have, or it doesn't seem that he regularly gets to those, you know, those 450 foot light tower home runs. So that's, that definitely makes me think the Camden factor is, is huge here. Yeah. Yeah. I he mean, was it, getting, it, they were getting out in Camden. They're not necessarily uh, getting out in, in whatever it's called, not, not Petco or um, it's not uh yeah petco anymore is it or maybe it is. yeah it's uh i don't i can't remember what it is <laughs> anyway it, i think whatever, like, whatever it's called these days um well we definitely yeah. agree on machado and i think i think that point is is valid but but really it's just the track record's not there um mm-hmm. in my opinion let's let's i'm going to give you three or four more hitters and you can tell me okay. if you agree or, or disagree but i'll just rattle them off and you tell me if you really disagree with me on anybody so uh, Jonathan VR is going at pick 39 and, and really that's just about the range of outcomes for me. Like he could totally be worth that, but he could also be a huge disappointment and it's third round, you know, it's a lot of draft capital. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton at pick 54, you know, I'd rather have Nelson Cruz at 81. I think the, the injury risk is worse than the age risk, but um, you could correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, Keston Hira at 57. I don't think his contact profile justifies that. And then also Bo Bichette at 68. So am I wrong on all those guys or some of those guys? Who, who, do, you, who do you think I'm, I'm undervaluing? Um, uh, I agree completely on VR. I think that um, this year was, has been tremendous and I've been wrong on him. I'll be the first to say that um, as a Mondesi truther versus a VR truther. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I just think we've seen him before, right? He's already provided this elite value before and the the subsequent season by the middle of the season, he wasn't even a regular starter. And so I think if he's not on the Orioles, you know, which team is he on? Uh, just because like, I think he's heading into the last year of his contract, if I'm correct, this upcoming year. And so, you know, do the Orioles, are they, uh, is he's not a part of their future, I don't think. So if he's not a part of their future, is he going to get traded? He's not What's a free agent until 2021. So I guess that, yeah, you're right. He has one more year with them. Um, so, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. And, and anything could happen, but uh, the, it's, it's, it's really, to me, it's more of a matter of, yeah, if he plays every day, he's going to be almost worth this pick, or, you know, certainly he's going to help you out in stolen bases and he's not going to be a zero in power. But the but the batting average was at the 95th percentile outcome this year, in, in my opinion. You know, he, mm-hmm. he hit 276. He's never hit, you know, he hasn't hit over 270 in a long time. And, you know, he did it one year, I think, in 2016. And so he's he's almost as good as he's ever been in that stat. And it could get real ugly um, if – if he's if he comes in with a more you know fifty percentile or even twenty fifth percentile you know he could hit two forty or and it could really hurt you there rather than help you like you want a third round player to help you. Yeah, yeah. I mean his his projected batting average is two seventy. So I don't know. I mean I guess I'd have to think about it a little bit more the more I think about it. Just because he does have now four consecutive seasons of ten home runs and twenty stolen bases. 
you know, again, like that doesn't make him worthy of this pick necessarily, but maybe there's a little less bottoming out on the floor than I would have anticipated. But you wouldn't um, but take I, Elvis Andrews here. Uh, at pick um, 39, I don't think, would you? <laughs> uh, no, no. So no, 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 I no. think it's, you know, he's got a little more power than Andrews, uh, but I think Andrews has a better batting average and he's going, it looks like pick 125. Maybe I should <laughs> put that one in the uh, undervalued category, but but anyway, yeah, I just think it's a little it's a little pricey for me at pick thirty nine on a guy. Yeah, Boy, yeah, I, I agree. That, so I think we just had some jets fly over here. <laughs> Sorry about <laughs> the, that, everybody. But uh, yeah, yeah, the, I don't see value in that spot. I guess that's the point. Sure. Is is I'm even this early in the draft, I'm still sort of looking for value. And you know, I see a guy like I, I keep using Bogarts because he's. You know, I, I don't understand how I got him when I got him this year, like the end of the third round. He may not be going that late, that, you know, for next year. But the, just the point is, you know, you can get a, a lot of upside um, with these third round picks and a much, much safer floor. So, you know, it's a, it's a bad comp. Obviously, you're, you're drafting VR for the stolen bases. But I, I, I think I'd just rather, you know, speculate on a, on a stolen base player or stolen base guy who's not a very good baseball player. Uh, later than the third round. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Giancarlo, I think that, I, I don't know. I'm fine with where he's going right here. I think the injury stuff, like if he's healthy, he's going to, he's going to smash. And I think he's shown that he can be a healthy guy um, in the past. And so. So you don't, uh, you so know, you don't price in a lot of injury risk on him. No, I mean, there's been research done. Jeff Zimmerman's done research on, like, kind of the injury-prone label. Um, And, you know, unless it's, like, a soft tissue or degenerative issue, it really isn't a thing. Hmm. So, like, if you look at his injury history, like, this year, I mean, it's his back, which is a little bit more concerning. So, you know, that, that is tough. But, like, you know, he got hit in the face with a pitch one time. You know, he broke his his hand, I think, like being hit by a pitch. Those are just kind of fluke things that are just kind of random. And so, um, you know, remember, like last year, what do you do? He had 50 home runs. He drove in, you know, that was 100 RBIs. 17, yeah. Let's see. You're right, though. He, he His his counting stats are going to be great if he plays a whole season. Oh, uh, yeah, that, that I, Yankee stadium. I'm remembering also when he was with the Marlins, and maybe that's unfair to ding him with, he, he hit 240 that year but then again he missed 40 games that year so I guess it's you know, it's a decision everybody's got to make for themselves I, he, he was going in the second round last year so obviously I thought that was a lot worse just because I don't yeah. I don't think he, you know you want a 300 hitter there if possible or at least a um, 2020 guy or better you know 30 30 guy if you're, I'm thinking yeah. about Tatis but but yeah it's a pick 54 I guess there's a lot of upside there it's just I for me with Giancarlo, and this is a this is a player specific thing. It's not um, how I normally treat injury risk or anything like that. It's just I, I'm really getting kind of you know weary of his <laughs> struggles that he's had. It seems like every other year or more. So, mm. but yeah, you've you've sent me straight that it's it's not that's not the <laughs> right the right way to look at injury risk for for him. So um, uh, the other for for Hira, I agree. Like I think the. I think the, you know, he's a really tough one for me because I think like you can see how good he can be. Oh yeah. You can see I, how he could be Javier Baez. Like he might yeah. actually be that guy. <laughs> totally. But, um, but he, 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 the contact rate is a concern, 
Um, and the question is like, you know, the contact rate is probably one of somebody who, uh, you know, he's got a 30% K rate, but he's not going to hold the 398 BABIP. So actually this would be a really good expected, um, one to look up. What is he? Hura is, so he's got a 360, uh, expected WOBA, a 393 WOBA, 300 batting average, 262 batting average. So the question is like, let's say he improves because he's a young guy and, and, you know, the trajectory is still up for him. Let's say he ends up hitting that projection of 270. Well, you know, he's on pace for 3218. <laughs> Carve that back a little bit. Like, let's say he goes 2515 with the 270 batting average. Like, or even, at 57, or, that's not that bad. And he's in Miller Park. Like, he's in a great lineup. So. Or even if it's 2510, or I would probably think more 3010. You know, I'm talking myself into the guy because. I just yeah. I just searched the expecting expected batting averages for him and Javier Baez and they're within a few points, you know, two sixty mm. something for each. And you know, that's not gonna hurt you, even if they're closer to that, but they just consistently outperform that and there's power and a little speed. His his stolen Hero's stolen base success rate isn't great, is it? Oh, he's he's nine of twelve. That's not terrible. It hasn't yeah. been and the strong. Brewers are like one of the few teams that actually you know, let's guys run. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe we're, maybe we need to rethink that one. <laughs> yeah. And his, um, you know, one of the things I think that, would, you know, his, his contact is better, like over the course of his major league career, it's improved. Like the trend is upward um, with a little bit of arch in it, but like, you okay. know, he's, you know, it, it's probably. So that his, 30% might head to 28%. You're saying it's just sort of slightly getting better, you know? Yeah. Well, and what's interesting is 28%, you know, I'm really seeing some similarities there. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing for Hira is his in-zone contact rate is much lower. Like his, his overall, uh, or no, I'm, I'm flipping these. Never mind. Ignore, I, ignore me. Ignore I started talking. Well, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to look back more into that because, you know, uh, that's a lot of, I mean, it is pick 57, so we gotta, we got to consider that it's fourth round here in a 15-teamer. That may still be too, a little too high because you could maybe get that uh, kind of profile a little bit later. But with a mm. player who's, you know, so young, still has the opportunity to improve and is going to play every day, I'm going to have to look a little bit harder at uh, Keston. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, if you were to say, who do you want, Bo Bichette or Keston Hura, I'd go Hura. Just because I think Bichette is, and, and we've seen it recently, like I think he's playing a little bit above kind of what the metrics indicate. Like he's, he doesn't profile great on stat cast so far. Like he makes a decent amount of contact. He's at the top of the lineup. Uh, he's not stealing as much as Hira does. And I don't think he has as much power as Hira. I think the batting average is probably stronger. So, you know, to but me, that's a good this kind is, of comp. This is my bias. I'll just tell you, you know, he's got almost 200 plate appearances and 11 home runs. He seems like a guy who's going to hit 11 home runs over more like 400 plate appearances. You know, it's just, it's, it just seems like one of those, um, this is a bad comp. I'm not comping the player, but Austin Riley, you know, just coming up and hitting 15 home runs in seemingly like three weeks, you know, and it's just, I think he was really hot and now he's cooling off and where he's going to, Land for me, just, it seems like maybe 20 to 25 home runs rather than being a true power hitter. And then the stolen base question is, is there for me too. Like mm. I've heard, I, wasn't it, it might've been you that was talking about his, 
his speed. He's not yeah. really that fast. It's it's got it's gotten better. Okay. okay. Um. So oh, he's eighty fourth uh, percentile now. Yeah, I reached out to um uh to Mike Petriello about it just to say to see like is you know like how quickly does the sample size because I think it was after like only a few games and it and he was like uh, treat it like any other stat like give it like thirty you know uh, like okay. uh, until they have a, a quite a, a few measured runs like give it that and he's steadily moved up so yeah he's at twenty eight point five I wonder what Hira's at. Here's only at 27.1. So it may just be that he, he could just be a better base dealer, you know, yeah. and I feel like that's so much of what well, we see a lot of, right now. You know, when you're talking about 15 stolen bases or, or, you know, maybe even a little bit more than that, you don't have, there's certainly guys that are not that fast to do that um, year in and year out. I would think I have, <laughs> this is terrible for me to just make up stuff, but I would think Ryan Braun is probably not that fast. I don't know for sure, but he, you know, he's always had, uh, ten plus stolen bases. Um, yeah, he's 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 below league average at this point. In his okay, career. well, good. I'm glad I made up a good example. <laughs> yeah, because that was go. off the top. I, I had never looked his up. But anyway, well, I, I want to be respectful of your time, and I know we've talked about. Uh, I wanted to talk about some players, and this is probably more useful for people, but players that are going too late. Um, I know I gave you a list. Is there anybody that stood out that you really agreed with on there that we need to mention real quick? Um, no, I think it's a great list. Um, I think Albies is, uh, he's a guy I love next. Year. I love those counting stats, man. It's just like he, he was, I think he's pretty close to 99 or maybe even better, maybe like 180 or, or 100, 190. And it's just, that's huge at pick 60, you know, and also well, a 25, 15, yeah, type guy with with upside because he's still what twenty three or whatever. So it's just at second base, you know. That's the thing you can't get that he, at second base. Yeah, and he's hitting close to three hundred now. Like he's yeah. he's a guy, and he's still twenty two. I mean, that's the thing we forget is these guys. I know. Like so, I know. Yeah, that's a good so point too. Early. I didn't know if he would hit two ninety or even two. You know, and he's yeah. he's kind of proven well, it now. So it's, his his contact rate is super good. His eye is getting better. He's starting to hit the ball harder. And most importantly, he's starting to hit the ball in the air. Yeah. And so all of the trends are really good with Albies. I love him for next year. My bold prediction is going to be a 30-20 season, I think, for him next year. That's awesome. Um, I think it's a great – Tim Anderson, I think, is another guy who, because of his plate approach, and this is – I'm including myself in this, like has underrated him. But I think that in a healthy season, I mean, he makes a lot of contact. He yeah. puts the ball in play a ton. He Pick hits 20 95. home runs. He stole. He steals 20 bases. I think it's great. Yeah. I got him. I picked him in. Um, Good for yeah. In I, my, I wrote in my uh, draft and on my email to you. I wrote Tim Anderson. Is this a joke? I picked 95 because you know the guy has just proven that he's a better. Anyway, he's made a lot of improvement. Well, I'll and he's you, getting better, right? I'll, maybe I can go through my list on my podcast. Um, and I'll, I might send you a couple of Twitter questions and you can. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to them. stay on longer if you want. Okay. I just noticed we were coming up on 60 minutes. It looks like we've crested that. Oh. Now. I thought it was going to cut us off. Yeah, I guess Anchor. maybe they, maybe they changed it. Good for Anchor. All right. Well, a plug yeah, for let's, Anchor. Let's pl- Thanks a lot yeah. for that. And yeah. let's, let's plug on. Well, we'll okay. be a lot faster with the, with the too late guys. Uh, that's so, what everybody says when they have me on, but it's impossible. Uh, I talk much. Well, anyway, we agreed on those two. So uh, Albie's at pick 60 and Tim Anderson at pick 95. Maybe, maybe jot those down for, uh, you know, if you're <laughs> planning on drafting next year. Because I, I don't think – I mean, I think probably Albie's probably gets up earlier in the fourth round. And, and Tim Anderson may even – you know, jump a little earlier by the spring, but 
I don't see those guys. I think those guys are still going to be bargains. So, yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think Anderson, people have the, the terrible approach in their head with Anderson and for good reason, right? He has a terrible approach, but that doesn't necessarily <laughs> impact once you've thrown, like, it's kind of like Javi Baez. Like this year, I didn't want to buy in on Baez, but now that I've seen it for two consecutive years or 1200 plate appearances, it's kind of like, this is who the guy is. And I think yeah. with Anderson, we're at the point where we're kind of like, oh, he's got two full seasons now of pretty much 2020 pace production. Like, exactly. That's kind of what it is. And it's, I think people get fatigued on him because it's inconsistent. Like he stole yeah. 14 of his 16 bases in March, April, and May. So two months, basically. He stole 10 in March, April, and four in May. And he's only stolen two bases since then. So I think people are like, well, what is, who is this guy? But he's also yeah. had injuries and, and, you know, he was out for most of the month of July. And, you know, I think that's just at pick 95, you're getting, you're, that's all upside. You know, if he gets yeah. zero on bases next year, but he hits, you know, as good as he's been. I mean, I, I don't think he's a 300 plus hitter, but if he's even close to that and he gets his usual 20 home runs, you know, on, on a full season's work. I mean, that's you're already getting a steal at pick 95 with upside to 20 plus stolen bases. It's just a, it's just a, it's a joke. <laughs> and the White Sox will be a lot better next year, too. Yeah, so. no, that's counting stats will be better. They should. Yeah. Um, Castellanos, we got to just real quick. Give me your take on him. Like the guy's gone insane. Like he's, yeah. he's Castellanos, you know, on uh, <laughs> don't want to say steroids, but, you know, like jet fuel. You know, he's basically yeah. turned on the afterburners since he got traded to the Cubs. What, what, what is this? Yeah, I mean, what if I told you he's having, like, an identical season overall to what he had last year? <laughs> I, I would say that, you know, it's still it's, – it's, it's strange because of the, of the fact that it's not just a random slump and a random hot streak. It's, it's he got hot as soon as he was traded. So is there anything yeah. to that? Um, I mean, like, uh, let's, let me just look really quickly. Um, so in the second half, he's hitting 304 compared to 282 in the first half. I mean, it's definitely a better situation, right? Mm-hmm. But my guess is going to be the BABIP is like super high. Let's see. Oh no, it's actually fairly consistent. So yeah, I mean, I think it depends where he lands. He's a free agent, uh, this year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. If he ends up in a hitter friendly environment, it's obviously a plus, I think. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, like the thing with Castellanos. I thought Wrigley was kind of neutral, though. I mean, it's not like. Uh, Wrigley, Wrigley is a pretty neutral. Um, his home run, perf- again, I should check these things before I say them because I'm just like <laughs> making assumptions about them. But my guess is going to be his home run per fly ball rate is pretty insane since he moved. Oh, it's got to be because of the yeah. sheer amount of home runs he's hit. You know, it's. Yeah, it's 25% um, okay, right well, now. I which, thought it'd be higher. Yeah, which is which is high, but not um, certainly not crazy. I mean, um, he, although his looks see. like Mike Trout or Christian Yelich for for several weeks. That's it's it. thirty thirty two point four percent in August. Of course, I would expect so, that to regress. Obviously, yeah. but you know, was was but, he just burned out? Like, why was he not doing anything with the Tigers? I, I, I kind of wonder. Well, I mean, I know that's a narrative and it's probably flawed, but like that's seems to me that's more than just a, a cold streak you know he yeah would... I, I think well i think you know it sounds like he was pretty down being on the tigers yeah they're not good well i, I remember before that... the season started he was asking to be traded and that's gotta yeah. have some effect you know on 
his morale, I mean, it, it's hard. You know, that's a depressing team to watch, you know. It's just, oh, yeah. It's really it's, – I feel like maybe there is something to that, but I don't know. We're probably talking about things that we can't know. So, uh, yeah. just somebody to I, think about for next year, though. If he... Yeah, the, the only thing I'd say is, like, from a batting average perspective, I think it's nice. Um, but the thing is, he does not provide, like, elite power, right? He's got 26 home runs this year. He'll probably end up with, like, 30 or so. Um, by the end of the season, he doesn't steal bases. So that also limits it. So I think a lot depends on where he ends up. One thing about Tiger stadium is that it's one of the hardest home places to hit a home run to center and to right center, which is where he actually hits a ton of balls. That's a good, that's a good point. Wow. Okay. That, that could be part of the equation. So depending on where he ends up, um, I do think like he definitely gets a boost. I think he's probably appropriately valued though. Yeah, um, I didn't, at this point, I didn't really think that 98th was super late for him. You know, I don't. I wouldn't take him at pick 50 or anything. I just kind of wanted to talk about him because of this crazy MVP August that he had that seems to be right. you know continuing into September. You know, it's just <laughs> he's been insanely hot. But that, you know, streaks happen. Skills. Yeah, <laughs> that was my last episode. So. Well, yeah. let's, uh, I'll, I'll, let's be a little quick. I'm going to name off some, some hitters, and then we'll come back to a couple of pitchers I wanted to talk about. But So okay. I have Senzel at pick 109. That, that was crazy to me. I think he can be a, a 20, 30 guy. He, he's definitely flashed more speed than I even expected. He is an injury risk probably. Uh, some of his problems are, you know, uh, I know he said the vertigo thing, and so uh, you, know, you want him to be healthy. Um, at 131, Trey Mancini, I mean – to me, he's just being ignored, and he's he's got a batting average that has 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 been spotty in the past, but I think is trending in the right direction, and certainly the power is real. Um, uh, Lourdes Guriel at pick one thirty six. I think there's a lot of upside there. Um, I, I'd love to hear you predict his twenty twenty stat line. Uh, Oscar Mercado pick 137 kind of the same thing as, as Lourdes I think both of those guys could steal more bases than people think um, especially Mercado uh, then there's Yuli Gurriel all these guys in the late 130s which is which is you know, what is that borderline ninth to 10th round pick I mean a lot of upside in those guys Danny Santana at 182 I'm not sure about who the real Santana is but uh, huh. And then at 196, my guy, J.D. Davis, I'm going to have – if he – you know, he may drop to, like, pick 100. I don't think he will, but he's going to drop a lot. But mm. if he stays at 196, I'm going to have him on every team next year. I think he could be – I think he could return top 50 value. So tell me if I'm an idiot there, but uh, – No. <laughs> you're definitely you're, – you're not. Um, yeah, I mean, I think with a lot of the guys you mentioned, so with Sinzel, he's got a torn labrum. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I have just in reading reports, it sounds like it's, he's iffy for like the beginning of next year, even oh, it's a pretty serious injury. Well, that explains he's been that. A, yeah. He's been a disappointment. I mean, when you look at the numbers, yeah, like, he has, but you know, the flashes that he's shown, he's been, I've had him on a team. Um, and yeah. it's frustrating because it's like, he'll play a couple games at the beginning of the week and then he'll, he'll get, you know, nicked up and he'll miss a game or two. So he's been up since I think May and he only has 104 games played. So he, every month he's missing games, you know, he's missing, he played 26 games in May, but then 23 in June, 20 in July, 27 in August and only five this month before he got hurt. 
And it's like, he, he doesn't quite get that full workload. And I think that really throws him off because it, it seems like every time he comes back, he'll have a bad game. He'll go over four, you know, and then mm. by the time he's been back for three or four games, he's starting to steal bases and hit home runs. And, you know, I think he just can't get on track. And, um, but, it, but as far as the disappointment factor, I mean, he's, that's been disappointing, but, but to me, I wasn't expecting him to steal. I mean, he had five in May and August, he stole five bases each month. So, mm. you know, is he going to be a, if he's healthy, could he be a 30 home, a uh, 30 steal guy? I, I don't think it's impossible. I just, yeah. the healthy part is, is, is key. And I didn't realize he was possibly going to miss the beginning of the season. So that will definitely make him cheaper, but probably means I'll get more of him because if he's huh. after pick 100 and it sounds like he certainly will be, there's a lot of upside there. Definitely. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So with Senzel super interesting. I think Mancini, I think you have a good point on Mancini. Like he's been solid. He's been consistent. Um, he has uh, improved his contact rate. The K rate is down. Terrible team, uh, of course, but yeah, yes. expected, they'll be expected better. Though. Batting average from the bat of two eighty six. Like this yeah. is legit. He's and thirty two home runs is. Uh, I mean, even on the Orioles, he's going to have a decent RBI total. So definitely, yeah. And this, the lack of stolen bases is a little bit of a concern. And again, like when you're at this point in the draft, like it's really about how you're sure. constructing that team. Uh, Guriel, he made some definite changes to his approach before he got injured. Uh, Lourdes, that is. Um, so I think he's uh, he's interesting for sure. Care to take um, a stab at the stat line for next year? Let's say he plays a full season. I don't know if that's even in the cards. Well, I mean, one of the things that I would do is, uh, and we don't have the them, but like, you know, if you want to get a stab at a at a stat line, like I just look at the projections, like kind of what they have um, him at, and so you know, forty seven plate appearances, rest of season, two sixty seven batting average, so two sixty seven batting average two home runs in those 40 plate appearances. So yeah, you're looking at like maybe slightly under 30 home run uh, pace, like 25, something like that. Well, and if, then, if it's two, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is too, like, I think oftentimes our imagination <laughs> Small gets, sample the, size. gets, yeah, gets <laughs> the better of us. Like, you know, the reason why I think projections are so important is because they are 50th percentile, right? They're not the best that they can do. They're not the worst that they can do. They're well, kind of right, in, right well, in the middle. What I was thinking is, is you know, is that 1.6 or is that 2.4? You know, because if it's 2.4, uh, let's say I'm, I'm going to roughly say 600 plate appearances. So that would be 12 times 2.4 is almost 30, 28.8. But if it's 1.6, and of course we don't know what the bat is predicting yeah. we just see a two there and if that two is 1.6 then he's like a 20 home run guy maybe you know so yeah. it's interesting um, but you know 19 home runs and 325 plate appearances definitely caught my eye and i didn't expect the stolen bases either so. yeah i didn't expect the stolen bases either and so i'd kind of look and see there i mean one of the things about stolen bases year to year the you know there's unless you see some consistency there like the fact he had one and now he has six like, I'd want to look at the sprint speed and see, like, okay, is the guy actually fast? Like, what, where is this coming from? Because you never know what they are, right? Like, they could be, um, you know, like, Tampa Bay always does this, but, uh, um, you know, they always do the double steal. And so, like, guys who, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, who yeah. never have stolen bases have stolen bases because they're the back end of, like, of the double steal. <laughs> and so you just never know how much is that. And so I, am always, I always want to be conservative. And that's what I love about projection systems is they're kind of inherently conservative, generally speaking. And so 
I want to be conservative, like, because the last thing I want to do heading into a draft is overestimate, like, the number of stolen bases that I think I'm going to get. Like, I want to be conservative because I don't want to be chasing them. Like, I want to make sure that I have them yeah. on my squad. Well, um, you're kind of talking me out of, of Guriel because I think while the upside is intriguing, pick 136 unless, unless it, um, you know, unless he ends up going a lot later than that. That's still a very valuable pick, and I, I might want somebody with more of a floor there. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like Lourdes is at one – he's now at 156 in the two early mocks. Okay. And uh, Yuli's at 147 at this point in time. Okay. So I think that might be a little bit better because the question is, like, would you rather have Lourdes Goriel or would you rather have, like, Willie Calhoun Ooh. or Paul DeYoung or Fran Mil Reyes, right? Like, because that's – or Lorenzo Cain. Yeah. Um, who I, who I, may, I love heading into next year. I may be getting pitchers at this point because I think, I think you're right. I think a lot of those guys have the ability to be, you know, very big disappointments if you're really trying to expect a certain thing from them, because, you know, what, I'm, I'm not really sure what kind of average Willie Calhoun or friend Mel Reyes is going to give you. And I don't, you know, of course, if you're, if you're just looking for that power, then, that might be a good place to get it. But we thought that this year with a bunch of guys that didn't pan out in that, you know, sort of early teens range. So. Yeah. Yeah. But I I like your Danny Santana and JD Davis shouts. I think Danny Santana is kind of a mini Javi Baez. um, And so long as it looks like he's, you know, and, and I'd be buying there. And I think JD Davis, the Mets have to find a way to get him in that lineup because he's, he's really, he's really good. (laughs) <laughs> he's, so he's, a, he's a really good hitter right yeah well let's talk some pitchers but real real quick first i had i had some even later hitters that were just kind of stabs um because i think they're going to go really late they, they were undrafted uh, when i looked at this thing and they were already you know after pick 200 but um that's jesse winker anthony santander i don't know if i'm pronouncing that right john birdie matt Beatty. And Hanser Alberto, <laughs> do you hmm. think any of those, uh, you know, I mean, we're, I'm talking, I might get these guys into like, you know, we're, we're now approaching round 20. We're taking I mean, this is the Kyle Tucker range, right? This is the, these are the guys, obviously not Kyle Tucker for next year, but Kyle Tucker this year, just a guy that I'm taking a stab on, but these guys have skills that I think at that late in the draft could really help your team. Um, I, I got, Jeff McNeil this year in a late teens round. And he's just been mm-hmm. huge for my, for my team because he's, he's booing the batting average booing. I can't say that word, but he's, he's helped batting average and he's not hurting anywhere else. And he's actually gotten way more, you know, counting stats and home runs than I would have expected. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, so like birdie, I think he's a this year only type guy. Like he's a 29 year old rookie and even Mattingly has said, like, I don't know if he's a consistent player. Okay. Um, Good yeah, to know. B- Beatty or Beatty. Um, he, uh, you know, it's just a question of playing time with the Dodgers, you yeah. know, but like, I love the, the Winker Santander and even Hanser Alberto, like, you know, I, he's kind of a no power guy and I tend to shy away from them, but I feel like Jeff McNeil. Price, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. What is, what is Hanser at? Actually, I was surprised. Um, Hanser, his maximum. No, wait, I'm looking at, I was thinking of somebody else. Oh, he's got 11 home runs. But his max exit velo is 103.6. So I think those 11 is probably a, you know, about what you can expect at the most. I don't, I don't think he, of course, he, you know, he doesn't have a full season, so he could flirt with yeah. 20 home runs. Anybody can in this <laughs> environment. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely 
That's interesting. I think um, he's, I think he's, you know, a decent Jeff McNeil comp, and, and McNeil has been super valuable for his owners this year. Of course, absolutely. you know, it could completely, he could be out of his lineup by April. I, I don't know. Yeah, but, but the cost is going to be low. But so for that's free, the, it's worth the a beauty. shot. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you think um, you think of those that I mentioned, Winker, Santander, and Hanser Alberto are worth a shot, but Birdie and Beatty or Beatty probably not uh, because of because they just aren't going to play. Um, yeah, I'm just not sure. Like I'll, I'll have to, you know, like at this point in like a mock draft, I wouldn't just cause I, I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that Winker and Santander could be really good values. I think Santander has been, you know, obviously really good. Um, but, um, you know, I think there's some potential there and all obviously playing in Camden is really nice. And then I think that Winker is, a, is the type of guy who's going to drop precipitously because, people are just tired of kind of buying into the hype, but he's only been in the league like one and a half years, you know, and we forget that. And so I think he'd be really, he's going to be really interesting next year um, uh, for sure. Santander and Winker will probably go a lot earlier than Hens or Alberto if he's even drafted. But, but yeah, I mean, I think you're getting a pretty good discount on all those guys. So you can take a shot. Okay. Well, switching to, to pitchers really quick. Let me ask you about Aaron Nola. Uh, to me, he's, he showed that he's more of like a 1.2 whip guy uh, than, you know, what we were expecting from the aces, which and a lot of them are, you know, less than one whip. Um, certainly the first rounders and, you know, some of the second rounders are close. He's going to pick 33. Um, I just don't really see it with Aaron Nola. What are, what are you seeing? And, and do you agree that 33 is too early? Um, yeah. I mean, I think, I think the consistency is a factor uh, 200 plus innings pitch now, going to be for two consecutive years. He was lucky last year with his, uh, he had a very low BABIP and that's just uh, kind of uh, normalized as, as has the, uh, the home run per nine with the ball. The K rate's been pretty consistent over the last three years at 27%. The walk rate has changed. So the control's a little bit concerning. I'd have to dig into that a little bit more, but I think just the consistency, he is playing on a Phillies team that scores a decent amount of runs. So you know, 12 wins, 17 wins, 12 wins again. So I do think that, um, I don't know if I'd be, I'd be targeting him where he's going right now. Like I love Mike Clevenger, who's a, who's at about this spot, um, in the draft. Actually, I should look at exactly who's right no, you're, there. You're right. actually. Yeah. So Clevenger was the next pitcher after Nola. And then you've got Kershaw, Snell, Flaherty, Strasburg, Sale, Luis Castillo down at pick 48. I think I might, like him as much as Nola, Patrick Corbin, yeah. pick 50, Giolito, Otani. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I would take most of those guys over Nola, I think, at this point, yeah. just because of those, those, the control concerns me a little. Even Charlie um, Morton yeah. and Zach Granke at pick 62 and 63. I mean, yeah. not, not even accounting for the, the fact that you have to pay a lot less. I think I just like them more as pitchers. Um, Granke gives you that. 1.0 or less uh, whip I was talking about. And Morton, I mean, is really good as long as he's, you know, holds up. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I don't see it for Nola. And then the other guy yeah. I, I called out was much later, actually. He's, he's at pick 55 after most of those guys I listed, but still before Morton and Greinke. And that's uh, Noah Syndergaard. I mean, we're, we've had <laughs> very high hope for, for him for a long time. And to me, he's proven to be another one of these 1.2 whip guys and and he doesn't even get the K's that Nola does. He he's more like a nine strikeouts per nine guy. So, so fewer strikeouts. And I I just don't believe in the true ace 
upside. So set me straight on Sundergaard. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think he had a really rough start to the season. He's been a lot better recently. He's got a 3.39 ERA in the second half, a 108 WHIP. Um, he struggled with his slider a lot, um, and so it seems like he's kind of figured that out a little bit. That's been his his signature strikeout pitch, and he wasn't able to throw it that well earlier on in this season. And, but um, he has improved. I've heard him talk about how he feels like he's getting the feel for it that better. He was somebody who said, I think, he had a great quote about how the new baseballs felt like trying to throw a marble or something like that. I can't remember. Uh, apparently not that great of a quote because I can't remember it. <laughs> but um, I think he's fine where he's going right there. Um, you it, know, is, it is later than I actually expected. I mean, 55. But I still think, you know, I would rather have Morton or Granke. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would have to really dive into both of them. Um, cause Granky, you know, a lot yeah. of, a lot of Granky, uh, Granky on the, on the Astros. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of the knock against Granky is his strikeouts. He doesn't have the strikeouts of, you know, your typical first three or four round pitcher, but the whip is so good and the winds are going to be so good that it's like, uh, it's fine with me. And, and he's always got a three-ish ERA in, in the end. Um, so, yeah, I'll take him over Cindergard uh, every day. Um, okay, well, let's get more positive. Uh, there were some, <laughs> some pitchers that I really liked where they're going. And um, the one that I really wanted to talk to you about specifically was Mike Soroka. He was going at 106. I'm not sure if that's changed much. I know I got a lot of these early. I'm still right at 106. So, yeah. to me – Soroka, and so let's just put that in context. So this is behind um, Kluber, who's got a lot of question marks, Trevor Bauer, Paxton Barrios, um, Tyler Glasnow. uh, We should probably talk about him. Uh, Luis Mm -hmm. Severino. So this is, you know, a lot of injury guys that are coming back, and we don't know how they're going to be. You Darvish, Madison Bumgarner, and then you get to Soroka right in front of Sonny Gray and another injury guy, Carlos Carrasco, and – uh, some other guys with question marks, but, but, but Soroka, that's, that's too late for me because I, I feel like he's kind of a Granky type that, you know, he's not going to be the crazy strikeout guy. He's going to, he's going to do it with sort of more finesse than raw stuff. But I just, I've seen him pitch and I just, I'm a believer. So, so what am I overvaluing in Mike Soroka? Um, well, I think for guys like Soroka, one of the things that I think I've learned from last year is at least, um, just like a personal level is I'm probably going to stay away from the guys who had like kind of really low whips. There are, are, are uh, really, really low Babbitts. Like there's a lot of guys who, um, you know, they, they have a really good season, but you look at like, you know, the, you look underneath. So like, he's got a 272 BABIP at this point. So it's definitely has regressed a little bit. When you look at his expected metrics, his expected WOBA is 303 versus a 270 WOBA. Now the 303 sounds pretty good. Like that's not bad. That's definitely a serviceable pitcher. But when you factor in that, he's only striking out seven batters per nine, that's actually like really freaking low for this day and age. Like people always joke about, you know, Kyle Hendricks, but Kyle Hendricks actually strikes out. um, Let's see. Let's see what he's doing this year. I should, should have looked at this ahead of time. So (laughs) he's at seven, five, five versus seven, 11. So like, you know, 
for Soroka, like I don't expect the quality of contact to continue to be this good, right? He hasn't shown that to me. Like if he shows me next year that he's like a 270 Babbitt guy, then like then next year I'll buy in and I'll be happy to. But paying 106 seems like a fairly exorbitant price for a guy who in some respects is hurting you in K's. Like the win should be decent. He's due some regression coming to him like from a batted ball perspective. Like that just uh, it's the type of profile that I want to avoid heading into next year is paying for last year's stats and not seeing the skills. I mean, his strikeout rate is like 19%, which is way below league average. So, I mean, he's going like Sonny Gray is going after him. Carlos Carrasco is going after him. Robbie Ray is going after him. Brandon Woodruff, um, Mike Miner, you know, I mean, Mike Miner might be a good comp, but Miner strikes out a, a lot more guys. Domingo Herman, Zach Wheeler's behind him, Max Freed. I'd rather have Max Freed. Kyle Hendricks is going like 35 picks behind him. And Kyle Hendricks has done this routinely forever. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm just not interested in, in him at that price. Interesting. Okay. Well, the, some of the guys you named behind him, I'm, I guess I'm a little surprised are going behind him. I probably should have looked at that when I, when I picked. So, okay. I just, I do think your point is good about you're sort of paying for last year's stats because, you know, all those guys you named, or most of them, you know, you're talking a four plus ERA and Sorokas is under three. So if you think he's going to do that again, he might well be worth this or more, like, like I said, but yeah, I, I don't think you can pencil Soroka in for a 2.5 ERA. You know, that would be, that would be ludicrous. Um, I do just my, my slight pushback would be the, to me, the strikeouts are a young, very, very young pitcher who's who's trying to to figure it out you know and is is figuring it out over time he's 22 years old he in in april may, this is silly stat picking but in april may he had a strikeout rate of 11 per nine in july it was over eight in september so far it's over eight that's probably like one or two starts but but i guess my point is you know he there have been times where he is just you know, not been able to strike anybody out. If you, if you ask me if his strikeouts next year will be over under eight, I would probably go over. And maybe I'm just completely wrong about that, but I just, I see, I see a lot of skill and I see sort of a continued uh, development of a young pitcher. And um, maybe I'm buying my own narrative too much, but (laughs) I, I guess I really, you know, one of six just jumped out at me as late, but you, you bring up a lot of pitchers who are also going that late. Of course, this is probably the range of pitchers that we're going to be avoiding. If, if we, <laughs> certainly you are, if you get the two aces early, you're going to just kind of pass over this whole group with, that has question marks, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, the problem with Soroka is that he's a sinker ball pitcher, right? 46% of his pitches this year have been sinkers. His sinker has a 5.3% swinging strike rate and a 93.6% in-zone contact rate. So he has a low K rate because when he throws his fastball in the zone, it gets put into play. And so that's why he's so reliant on limiting that BABIP to be effective and to be successful. And it could be that because of that sinker, he is able to maintain that lower BABIP. He has the components of a higher strikeout rate with a nice slider and a nice changeup that get a decent swinging strike rate. But as long as he's throwing 50% of his pitches sinkers, which get very, very few swings and misses. I think it's going to be hard for him to get that K rate up too much higher. He could be a guy that like middle of next year, we're talking about how, you know, he's been hit a little hard early in the season. And we're talking about how, well, maybe he should be throwing that sinker less 
and that change up and that slider a little bit more. Um, but you know, who knows, who knows what we'll be talking about. Well, I definitely hear a lot of people, you know, uh, that are super down on sinkers and anyone who throws them. So, I, uh, you know, I have to defer to, to greater minds there and, and people that know what they're talking about. But when I see him pitch, you know, it's, it, 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 they really just look like fastballs of, of any stripe. And it just seems like he's always on the corner. Like he, there is never a pitch that's just a meatball over the plate. And mm. I think that's probably why he's getting, you know, that, you know, more contact than, than you would expect with a, a guy who's going to wipe out, you know, slider and curveball or something like that. But, but they're not hittable balls. They're not balls that are, you know, going 400 feet. They're, you know, out most of the time. So I, again, I'm over my head here and <laughs> no, we'll have no. to, we'll have to see what happens, but it's it certainly, you know, I, I see, especially in the numbers, I see guys, you know, that are going higher that um, seem to have more risk than Soroka to me. And, you know, I called out, uh, Barrios and Bumgarner and uh, you know we have to talk about any anyone else in particular but um, we'll just we'll just have to see how it develops and you know I give a little bit of credit to the fact that he's 22 but uh, I guess I want to just before I let you go ask you a couple of non-player specific questions and, and again this is the common sense fantasy baseball podcast so I wanted to get sort of your general advice for how you do a few things and the first thing that comes to mind is you know how do you keep track of rosters they're changing every day now and they, they always mm. change and playing time injuries call ups you know all that stuff um and then you know especially predicting all that for next season um yeah how, what, what are some resources you use or some methods you i mean what how do you do that other than just a lot of work you know is there yeah is there anything that helps you do that well, I mean, one thing is I monitor lineups on a daily basis for sure. Um, so there's a couple of Twitter. Do you play DFS? Does that I don't play you? DFS actually. Okay. I don't play. I've never played DFS before in anything, which I'm 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 actually more inclined to do that for the NFL than I am for baseball, uh, just because I love roto and like the fact that like you have a whole season. It's a big sample to show that your team is the best. But um, I. Uh, you know, so I, there's a couple of Twitter accounts I follow. There's like, I think it's like MLB lineups and then there's baseball press and they just pump out the lineup every day, like a couple hours before. So once it's released and so just monitoring that, like I have an idea of like, which, which of my guys are playing where they are in the batting order. Roster resource is also really good. It's actually integrated with fan graphs now. Um, but roster resource is a place that I go to look at like expected batting line, lineups for the upcoming season. You know, that is also something that maybe oh, okay. in spring training, I'm monitoring that. So on, roster on, re- on called... fan graphs and roster resources. Okay. Yeah. I, I've definitely around with some of that stuff, um, hit or miss on it. Maybe, uh, I know you said you're going to be out in Arizona next month. Maybe I can get you to show me a couple of things. Yeah. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's definitely, uh, I'd like to talk about that on my podcast in future episodes once I get better at it. But th- those are, those are great resources, of course. Yeah, and then I think Twitter is just a great resource. I like guess tracking people where yeah, um, like a said, lot of just, beat writers and stuff. If you get a Twitter feed of the lineups every day, you're just—I mean, even if you don't spend any time on it, you're at least you're you're seeing that. And I'm sure over the weeks you start to see whose name pops up, you know, time and again. Yeah. So, well. Yeah. So it's uh, it's at Baseball Press and then at Daily MLB Lineup are the two accounts that I follow do a good job um, of putting them out daily MLB lineups 
or lineup is my favorite just because it puts it out in text form and not a link. And so it's very easy to see. Cool. Um, yeah. All right. Well, uh, obviously there's just a lot of work that goes into that and trying to figure out, especially certain teams, you know, I, I was going through, I just sort of pulled up a list of the 30 teams. So I had it at my fingertips, uh, just on ESPN or some, somewhere. And I was just thinking, what are these lineups going to look like next year? Like, I mean, even if you start with the, the Orioles, the AL East <laughs> first team, who's going to be batting for the Orioles next year and, and pitching for that matter? You know, we could go through each one of them and maybe that would be a good podcast sometime, but <laughs> I'm not, not going to make you do any of that today. I just, it, it's, it's fascinating to me because if you find a guy who, you know, no one even really thinks about on some team that's going to play every day, you know, some, even some bad team and you pick them in round 30 or something, you may have, you know, a, a real helpful asset that was just absolutely free. And if you end up dropping him or whatever, it doesn't cost you anything. So I think mm. those kinds of things are incredibly valuable, but man, is it a lot of work. <laughs> so yeah. that, uh, that's interesting. If you, I'd be interested to know, and I, I know you sometimes talk about things like that on your podcast, you're, where you're getting your information, but I'd be interested to know any other resources you think of as you're doing prep for 2020. But for now, you know, you've been really generous with your time and I want to let you get back to your family and whatever you're doing today. But um, thank you so much for being on. Is there anything you want to plug? Is there anything you want to say? Um, is there any thought parting thoughts? What's on your mind? <laughs> uh, no, nothing. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on here, Drew. Uh, it was great having a chance to talk, talk with you. I know we've uh, interacted via Twitter, but it's always nice to put a voice to a Twitter profile. And then I guess I'll see you in Arizona as well. If folks are interested in following me on Twitter, it's at BatFlipCrazy. I also have a podcast um, called BatFlipCrazy, which is available on pretty much all the podcast platforms. So if you're interested in uh, listening to me talk more, uh, then <laughs> that's a good place to find me. But thanks so much for the opportunity. It's been a lot of fun to chat with you um, about next year and this year and, and all of that good stuff. Always enjoy it. Thanks a lot, man. Um, definitely looking forward to my first first pitch Arizona. So I'll, I'll see you there. And um, thanks again for being on. I really appreciate it. Of course. So right. um, that's going to do it for this episode of Common Sense Fantasy Baseball. Um, to everybody out there, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Toby. And um, thanks for listening. And as always, stay classy, Planet Baseball.